All right, it's the week of June 6th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ojay, and today we're going to talk about UFC versus One Championship in Singapore. So the UFC is hosting UFC 275 in Singapore this weekend, also doing their Road to UFC tournament. We're going to break down how well the UFC is doing there business-wise as compared to how well one championship normally does in their hometown. We're also going to talk about how it might not be such a bad thing for one championship if UFC does really well this weekend. I'll break all of that down. Then we're going to talk about VeChain signing with the UFC, a blockchain company, a big deal worth $100 million. We've got to break down all of the details of that deal. Then we're going to do our quick hit segments with some talk about BT Sport re-upping their media rights deal for UFC as well as Combate's audience. Then we've got to talk about Tim Kennedy's MMAAAA comments on the Ariel Hawani show. It's very enlightening for anybody that hasn't followed the saga of the antitrust lawsuit and unionization efforts in MMA. We've got to break down some of the things that Kennedy revealed in terms of what went on with the group, uh, what response and what the receptiveness of it was, as well as some things that management did. Lots of important stuff we've got to tackle there. And last but not least, we're going to do a good deal, bad deal segment with MVP versus Mike Perry in BKFC. Is that a good deal for the fighters, the promotions? Definitely a matchup out of left field. Let's talk about really the effects of the business and whether or not it's a good deal or bad deal that that's happening. So as always, got timestamps at the bottom. Welcome to my temporary home setup. I will get in the office hopefully by next week, but if not the week after that. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So UFC 275 goes down this weekend and it's in Singapore and they are pulling out all the stops. You've got the road to the UFC tournament, with a bunch of fighters competing in a tournament to win a UFC contract. I believe they just awarded a contract to a guy even before the tournament's over or it was separate part of the tournament or something like that. I haven't been following it yet. I'm planning to watch it over the weekend, but interesting stuff there. Cool concept. Um, they've got a lot of buzz going out in Singapore. They've got a lot of adverts. I've seen cab advertisements. I've seen some billboards. They're really pushing hard and, We need to look at a conversation that was had between the Business Times and the UFC senior vice president of and and head of Asia, um, Kevin Chang, where he was asked a couple of questions. And this is at businesstimes.com.sg. So it's a Singapore site, right? Um, Asked a couple of questions about UFC 275 and the UFC hosting an event there with some interesting answers. So looking at this article, one question that was asked to him was Singapore is a small market. So what's the potential for growth as far as the UFC brand is concerned? And Chang's response was it's a small market, but it is powerful and influential in that it sets the trends for all of Southeast Asia from a commercial perspective. When you get major presenting partners and sponsors, such as, Air Asia Super App, it just creates this energy. I see a big opportunity for us in Singapore with a growing and sophisticated fan base that's just hungry for UFC content, end quote. He also uh, mentions that they don't intend for this to be a one-off. They will 
continue the trend of bringing major events to the Singapore area on a regular basis. Um, talk about a handful of cities he wants to visit every year, New York, London, Abu Dhabi, and Singapore being one of them, possibly. I mean, and obviously you're doing, you know, a PR piece for a big country's, you know, representative media. You're going to say, yeah, possibly we'll come here, of course. But, you know, whether or not that'll actually happen, we'll see. Um, Another important tidbit here is the next question that was asked according to this interview here is any plans to increase the number of Asian fighters on the current 600 strong roster. And Chang responds and I quote, it's definitely growing. I'd say we're a little under 10% of our total roster. We would like to get it up to 10% quite soon. That would make it 50 plus athletes from Asia. He then talks about demographics, uh, answers some other, you know, puff piece questions about being a sports fan, all that, but let's just unpack those two answers right there, right? So if you read between the lines, and it's not that hard because he was pretty direct in some of it, the UFC sees Singapore as a gateway to Southeast Asia. This is something that the UFC has done multiple times where they will find kind of a hub or, you know, a spot that will hopefully help them break into a new market and they will host a big event there, partner up with big names there, right? Air Asia Super App, that's a pretty big deal. And they will push that hard to create and convert new fans. Makes sense. We've talked a lot about geographic expansion and the UFC's goals in that regard over the past couple of years on this podcast. But with the sponsorships, that's another way you can do that. Yes, Singapore is small, but it is a very influential city, right? In terms of business, it's a very, very influential city and has the gateway to Southeast Asia MMA. It's kind of true in that, you know, you've got one championship hosting their events there and it would make sense that that's kind of the city where a lot of Southeast Asian fans would, you know, flock to, to see a large event, has the infrastructure, has the, you know, economics to host that right and so the ufc has come in here to basically kind of say yeah we're, we're doing a big event this time they've had a what you had maya versus Askren uh as a fight night there not that long ago and another another event that um i think is home versus uh beth correa that sounds right um i mean but this time they're they're going all out you've got Two title fights, you've got a fight of the year, or best, arguably one of the best women's fights ever uh, in the Whaley versus Ioana rematch. You've got Valentina versus Santos, Jiri versus Teixeira, right? I mean, they've, they've made it a big card this time around. And with those comments, it's clear that now they're starting to make that push. I mean, the road to the UFC tournament as well, that kind of leads us into the next question, which was them looking to beef up their representation from this region in terms of their fighters. Well, yeah, you just had the road to the UFC tournament. You clearly want to sign some guys around here. Makes sense. As you're trying to break in a new market, you want to find homegrown stars. That's how you help win over and convert a new market. That's how you double your media rights deals, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, right? I mean, you want to talk about Molly McCann and Patty Pimblett and then 
BT Sport re-upping their deal with the UFC. That's how you do it. You you get homegrown stars, you have them in events in the area, you push them, and then you get the sponsorships and the media rights deals, which is really, again, what the UFC is trying to do here. It's important to remember that, yes, they want viewers. Yes, they want higher gates and, and more hardcore fans. But at this point, their main strategy is still media rights and sponsorships. That's really what they're going after. They're trying to secure higher media rights deals that are locked in that keeps their revenue tight and predictable, and then getting new sponsors to add on, which will only give them more money and will allow them to kind of bypass converting all of these people to buy pay-per-views because that's not the game they're in anymore. Ari Emanuel straight, straight up said that during his fireside chat, which we talked about last week. Um, and the week before. So we're at a point now where the UFC is is targeting something different and they're coming into Singapore right now, making a big splash, trying to get those media rights and sponsorships. That's really what it's about. Now, a lot of people have talked about, you know, UFC and how they're doing this card versus one championship. Because one championship is based out of Singapore and that's been their home base for a while. That's where they hold a lot of cards and the UFC has gone in and made multiples of their normal gates with a, as John Nash pointed out, uh, a six thirty local start time. And yeah, I mean, the UFC has come in and made a much bigger splash than what one normally does. You're talking about a sold out arena show with a lot of good advertisement, um, a big sponsor. I mean, yeah, they've they've done very well already for UFC 275. Uh, we'll see what the pay per view numbers are. We'll also see if they get a true sellout and how the fights go. But between the road to UFC tournament and 275 also being near sellout, like they've they've made a big impact. One on the other hand has held two events in Singapore recently in a stadium where they've not allowed fan attendance it's been closed off um that is probably for a couple reasons one again in terms of getting their um getting their gate right i think the last thing they want knowing that the ufc was coming is to have gate numbers in the same arena so that's easy to compare around the same time period they can always push it off and say oh well we didn't have this because of covid or et cetera et cetera uh, production issues. I don't know. I don't know what the excuse will be, but then when you look back historically, you won't have exact numbers, right? You won't have like, well, one ran a show on this weekend and UFC ran a show on the next weekend. And here was the disparity. Instead, one can kind of deflect and say, oh, well, we weren't having fans at that time because of a COVID spike and because of, uh, you know, international athletes coming in, et cetera. Like you can kind of downplay it, even though COVID is in the rear mirror for you for many countries. Um, you know, it's still out there enough that historically when people look back on 2022, they'll remember COVID still being around, right. And still having plenty of cases, this will be a way to kind of deflect some of that direct comparison. I think that's part of the reason one hasn't sold any tickets, uh, let alone they might legitimately have trouble selling tickets at this point. Um, that being said as well, um, 
got to give a shout out to old uh, Jonathan of Kowloon and such is what his Twitter name is now uh, at globe SVCS on Twitter uh, where he pointed out, you know, for the sense of disparity from what we do know, uh, the UFC made more at the gate from a single 2017 Singapore card than one did for the entire year also happened in 2018. So home versus uh, Korea was 840K in terms of gate. That was in Singapore. One in 2017 was 781,000 and then 701,000 in total revenue for those two years. Now, this isn't super shocking, right? If you've been paying attention, this shouldn't be super shocking to you because we know that the UFC is way ahead in terms of competition, right? If you want to compare Bellator numbers to UFC, PFL numbers to UFC, it's always going to look bad. This might look kind of the worst (laughs) Um, between the three of them. I mean, that's not true. PFL easily could and a Bellator on a bad night. You never know. So it's important to take that into account. And we've covered one championship's finances and gone down that rabbit hole, right? So, we don't need to rehash that, but you're going to have a giant disparity. You always work in terms of how bad that looks for one championship. It's not a great look on the surface, right? Of course it's not. But if you dig a little bit deeper, again, you're comparing two very different companies at very different maturities in their, their history. Technically, one is still in that startup phase, which I've gone over. I mean, they're a late stage startup in that they've been going for a while now and they've not gotten the type of growth that you hope for. But that doesn't mean the growth can't get there that, you know, I've seen I've seen companies run 10, 15 years in this mode and then eventually hit that stride that they need. And then they kind of mature into rapid growth and maturity and become an actual player. It's rarer, but it happens. And in one's case, right, they're still going out. They're still getting fundraising. They're still doing what they have to do to get deals. They just have the got the Amazon deal. So, I mean, they're making some big moves there to hopefully set them up for the rapid growth in their mind. But, you know, we don't know how that'll shake out. But when you're comparing that type of startup feel to what is now the mature dominant player in the space, which is the UFC. If the UFC does extremely well, which it seems to be that they are for this weekend, that actually helps one championship. And here's why. When you're in startup mode, you're going out to investors again. You're trying to say, hey, we need fundraising. We need this. We, we need to keep things going. Here's all of our accomplishments. Here's what we plan on accomplishing with this money. Here's where you can expect your return. Here's the big new moves we had. Look, we're, we'll, you know, get to that revenue. We just need some more funding to get there. And here's the proof that we're, we're on the right track and that all you need to do is give us X amount more and we'll get there or X amount more and we'll get to this next step, Right. When you've got the mature big company coming in and making as big a wave as they do that the UFC has done, one can use that to say, look, the market is there. We just need to 
utilize this much money to capture it, right? If anything right now, especially with the Amazon deal in place, this gives Chatri something to point out and be like, look, the, the appetite is here. We are in Singapore. Look at what the UFC just did. Now, we're not going to make their numbers right now. Of course not. We're not there yet. But we can capture some of that market. And if we even get, you know, you know, 20, 30% of what the UFC is able to do here on a regular basis, that's going to lead us to a lot of growth down the line. This is our backyard. This is where, you know, we have a lot of these homegrown talents. We've got the right people. We've got the inroads and networking and infrastructure and whether or not this is all accurate, right. You know, you can't say, but the pitch here for one is easy. The pitch is look, I've been in the space for a while. We're making progress and look at what the UFC just did. This just is a, you know, reassurance that we are in the right spot and we are just doing what we have to do to eventually become like them. And that will work on a lot of investors. And it's not a bad call, right? A lot of investors will look at that and say, okay, the market is there. If anything, it's grown. And, you know, this, okay, could be something. Because one isn't trying to compete with UFC directly. I mean, they are and they aren't. They're, they they are trying to compete with the UFC, but they know they're not the number one dog yet. And yes, it will turn off other investors saying like, that's a giant competitor that's now just moved into your space and caused all this thing. But but the UFC was always their main competitor. And because of global reach, UFC has already been there in Singapore, already been doing that stuff. It's not a new threat, or at least you can kind of spin it as not a new threat, right? So... This leads to Chaudhry possibly getting a boost in his investor talks. And I know this sounds a little, again, on the surface, kind of like, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. You've got the one, you know, one not doing super, super big numbers. And then you've got UFC coming in and doing amazing numbers. Like, wouldn't that hurt? It shows market viability. And when you're still in the startup stage, that's what you're pitching if I'm an investor and I at least know the market is viable and then somebody can kind of convince me that they're going to tap into that market and they're showing me, Hey, here's X, Y, and Z. And what we're going to do tap in that market, I'm more likely to invest Uh, two huge parts of getting investors on board are one proving that the market is there for your product or service. That's arguably the biggest step. And then two, convincing them that you're the person to tap into that market and disrupt that market and make them money. UFC just helped them prove point one, right? UFC just made a big stamp on point one very much exists. If anything, it's grown. And that's the other thing. Investors love it when a market grows, because then if a company is kind of struggling, but they believe in it, or they think it might, you know, turn itself around, if the market grows, that's just more opportunity for that company to siphon off market share. So I think UFC doing as big numbers as they did, and as they're doing, is only going to help one in that regard. Now, again, Chachri still has to convince the investors or whoever's in there doing their pitch decks have to convince the, the 
investors. It's not the one, you know, one is going to get crushed by UFC and all this stuff. But again, market viability is plain as day, plain as day right now. And that, especially for new investors, is going to be a big sell. So yes, UFC is killing it in Singapore this weekend. Yes, the numbers compared to ones on a one-to-one basis are obviously very heavily in UFC's favor, but it's not all bad news for one. I would not be shocked, mark my words on this day, I would not be shocked if in three to four months' time you see another big round of funding close for one championship, maybe even earlier. Because I know they just got a funding round not that long ago. This, I've seen it happen before in other industries. If you've got a good sell, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful, but you're just good at selling. If you've got a good sell and you can prove market viability, you're probably going to take investors' money. So those are my two thoughts on it. All right, next up, we have to talk about V-Chain or V-E-Chain signing with the UFC for a multi-year deal uh, reported by SBJ to be $100 million total, $20 million over five years. Uh, They sent out a press release and you've got uh, V-Chain saying that it will become UFC's first ever official layer one blockchain partner providing the blockchain foundation with an unprecedented level of integration into key UFC assets, ranging from live events, broadcast features, uh, in arena promotion, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then you have a quote from Sonny Liu, who's the co-founder and CEO of VeChain saying, it is a historical moment when VeChain, the layer one public blockchain with the most enterprise adoption, joins forces with the fastest growing sport to raise awareness that blockchain Chain technology is critical in helping deliver major major global objectives such as sustainability. Man, talk about some business corporate speak right there. Um, you've got Paul Asensio, a UFC Senior Vice President of Global Partnerships, stating that VeChain is a globally recognized leader in blockchain technology, and we couldn't be happier to welcome them, welcome them as an official marketing partner of the UFC. VeChain's expertise in using real-world blockchain applications to help the public and private sector achieve their carbon neutral goals is an effort we are proud to support. We look forward to working with VeChain to leverage UFC's worldwide popularity to promote a positive message that blockchain technology can be used to protect our environment for future generations. So this ties into, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but this uh, ties into the popular environment a sustainability investment type deal uh, where there's a lot of investments out there right now. I believe it's ESG, uh, environment, social, and something else. Um, but it's, it's a type of investment craze going on right now in the market where you essentially pay into these funds and they're supposed to be companies that are doing environmentally or socially conscious things and, um, you know, kind of are making changes to help climate change or, you know, social justice, depending on your funds, all that stuff. This kind of trends along with that a little bit, right? Um, It's a good look in terms of the PR being like, look, we're trying to get to carbon neutral and et cetera, et cetera. It also helps that $100 million 
you know, you're not going to necessarily turn that down. Um, according to Adam Stern, uh, the assets that are included in terms of this global sponsor, you've got uh, branding in the octagon, broadcast slash social media integrations, and sponsoring UFC's fighter rankings. So just like you've got the, uh, what is it, battle motors for the light heavyweight rankings, you've probably got V-Chain going to be on at least one of the rankings. Maybe all, all of them that aren't battle motors, or maybe battle motors sponsorship has run its course. Uh, but Either way, it's a big deal. Um, now, I don't know a lot about blockchain technology. I'm not the guy to ask about all that. There are a couple of a couple of guys in the MMA media space, uh, guys and gals that know about that more than I do. So I'm not going to talk about that. But in terms of the revenue here, right, this is huge. Um, this is a ton of money. It is, again, something that, on paper, they're supposed to be going carbon neutral. It helps with that uh, current investment craze, although that will probably be dying down because there's been some research out of that that has essentially shown it's just you're paying more and you're not actually getting the returns you want. Um, but, I mean, it, it's still an important sponsorship and, again, highlights what the UFC is really going after. We just talked about the UFC moving into different regions and trying to get media rights and sponsorships. I will talk about it all day long. If you want, here's another huge one, huge one for the UFC. It's another, you know, blockchain technology, crypto type stuff. Um, And if I'm saying that incorrectly, someone feel free to correct me in the comments. If you know more about that than I do, I feel super old because I don't know much about it. I've just stayed away from it. Um, But it's one of those things where a we there's no indication that this money is going to the fighters at all, which means that from a business perspective, there's no real costs associated to it. I mean, there are, there will obviously always be certain maintenance costs where they'll have to, um, you know, make sure that certain things are being branded correctly. They will have to, probably pay for some kind of maintenance on social, whether that's through a social media coordinator or an intern, right? And that gets kind of baked into an already existing salary. There's always costs associated, but some might already be part of a cost that the UFC can easily absorb. So net new costs may be technically nothing. I doubt it's nothing. That's very rare, but obviously very, very low. And Moody's even pointed this out, right? Um, John Nash brought it up on Twitter in response to this that, you know, Moody's has pointed out that revenue growth is almost sky's the limit for the UFC because they will just continue to get new sponsorships, new partners with very small incremental costs. And that's an example of this. I mean, maybe they give away some of this to fighters. It's possible, but... There's, they don't have to. And even if they gave away, let's say they gave away 10% of it. Say, you know what? They're going to be super generous. Give away 10% of this money to the fighters. That's still $90 million over five years. And and again, I don't think that's what they're going to do. So my guess is it's going to be much closer to $100 million. Um, you, you can't You can't look at this type of stuff and think the UFC is doing bad business here, right? Uh, 
it's it's a safe company to have sponsor you, especially with that amount of money. If crypto, you know, gets destroyed, it's not the end of the world, especially with blockchain too, right? Like that's viewed as kind of, if I understand correctly, that's viewed as more of the safer type of, you know, actual useful type of crypto, right? It has documented uses where it's in multiple sectors already, which VeChain says they're already in multiple industry industries and industrial sectors. That's big. Because, you know, it's not just a, hey, it's a fad necessarily. No, it's a useful product that's already out there that will probably just continue to get more use. So great work by the UFC, a huge deal. And again, will be interesting to see how fighters react to this because will they get a cut of any of it? Uh, I mean, I doubt the UFC is going to just give it away for free, but if UFC is pushed enough, or the fighters pushed enough rather, maybe they get some, but unlikely, right? So this is again, most likely just free revenue that will help funnel into Endeavor's debt and other businesses. Hard to look at this and think it's a bad deal. So important, especially given the size, given the partner, it's just a, in my opinion, a one up on the crypto.com deal by a, by a big margin. So yeah, I mean... There you have it. Another big deal for the UFC. All right. Next, I want to go ahead and go into our quick hit section. The VeChain UFC deal was big enough. I wanted it to stand on its own, but we've got another deal we need to talk about that involves the UFC, and that is BT Sport did re-up their media rights deal with the UFC for $15 to $20 million and was about 100% increase of their previous media rights deal. Now, this isn't super unexpected, right? We heard reports about the UFC getting double of what their old media rights was from, you know, investment bankers from Ari, I believe he said it himself, Ari Emanuel. We've, we've heard several reports that this is what the UFC is doing. They're going back, especially on the international media rights um, since ESPN is locked in, but they're going, they're going back and they're getting double of what they were last time at the negotiating table for BT sport makes a lot of sense. Again, as we talked about at the top of the episode, with building homegrown stars and then getting big events and big fan reaction and signing new deals and new sponsorships. UFC London, right? Patty Pimblett, Molly McCann have those two homegrown stars. You had a big event at UFC London and then you come back with a 100% increase in your media rights deal and another London card coming. I mean, I'm sure there were more factors than just that, but that only helps, right? That crowd had been dead. If it had been kind of a, you know, all of the UK fighters are getting destroyed, that wouldn't be so great. But you had big wins by those two, by Paul Craig. You had a lot of big wins on on that card for homegrown stars. That's the game plan, right? There's a reason that you had Jessica Andrade defend her title Strawweight title against Wei Li Zhang in China, when by all accounts, Andrade was the more established name, should have had her home turf. Wei Li had only gone through a couple of fighters, but they did that so that Wei Li, if she won, which she did, uh, as they announced the opening of the Performance Institute, again, more geographic impact to maximize a potential win, which happened. And then they went and immediately doubled their rights 
in China. Their media rights, the UFC did. After Whaley won the belt, that's the strategy here. So makes sense that BT Sport got re-upped for that much money. Uh, next thing we have to talk about is Kambate or Kambash. I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. Let me know in the comments if, which way, if you know. Uh, <laughs> averaged... 884,000 viewers on Univision this past Sunday, which is the second largest audience uh, for the promotion. So it's interesting, right? Because if you look at, you know, Bellator, PFL, One Championship, they're all doing multiples lower in terms of terrestrial viewership. Um, UFC, we've seen a couple of UFC fight cards, I believe on ESPN early on that did less than that or around that number. So that's pretty big in telling too. Now, the caveat is, right, that especially with Univision, their lead-ins are generally big soccer matches. Um, I believe this past Sunday, it was one of the biggest soccer matches in a while. I, I don't follow leagues that much follow the world cup. I, I, not as much as I'd like to. I just, I don't, sorry, sorry, soccer fans. I'm not, I'm not Luke Thomas. Sorry. Um, but you know, it was a very big match from what I heard. That was the lead in, which probably helped right lead lead ins to shows on terrestrial TV are always a big deal. That's, that's a huge, huge deal with viewership because the idea is, okay, they were watching this, show or thing they want to see and it's great. And then they leave the TV on afterwards or they have it on in the background while they do other stuff, et cetera. So that could be part of the reason you have the big bump. Um, also, right. As we've talked about, it's one of those things where Univision is just the premier Hispanic community channel, right? It's, it's, it's the premier Hispanic focus channel. And, and in, in the U.S., as far as I know, if you have that giant, if you have basically one channel that most people or a subset of people watch and you don't have many other options for uh, Spanish-speaking, you know, Americans, it makes sense that they're going to watch Combate, regardless of what time it's on and all that stuff, Right. It, it makes sense. And I'm, and this is not downplaying what Combate has done, right? They've definitely found their niche market. They've executed on it. They've done extremely well. But it's important when you look at these numbers, it's not, oh, why is no, because I've, I've been asked this, why is nobody talking about Combate? Why aren't you talking about Combate? Well, again, you've got to look at the overall environment, right? It's, if I've done Combate, content. If I know others who have done combate content, it's not really getting the the views that you'd expect it to get. It's like, okay. Um, but yet 884,000 people, according to Nielsen Holmes, right? Watched it. That's, that's a disparity there. You would think that if we do combate content, it would just be doing gangbusters. Again, it's, it's hard to really get the full truth out of that. Same with other promotions, right? It's, it's just how it is. So it's still a huge win for Combate. It props to them. 
I would love to see them make more of us, especially with the Copa Combate and the team. I, I personally love it. It's on a little bit late for me because I'm an old man and I go to bed early. But again, hopefully that audience continues to grow and hopefully they become a player in the space. But don't look at that number and think, oh, wow, they're killing it and think that they're just dominating because there's obviously caveats you have to take into account. All right, next thing we have to talk about is Tim Kennedy's appearance on the Ariel Hawani MMA show. So Tim Kennedy goes on Ariel's show and talks about the MMAAA, which was a unionization attempt. If you look up MMAAA now, you get something to the effect of Massachusetts auditors associations. Uh, So obviously it didn't work, but... um, you had him, you had Cain Velasquez, George St. Pierre, TJ Dillashaw, Donald Cerrone with Bjorn Reb- Rebney. I think it was 2017. Come out and say, look, we want to form a union. K- Kennedy was honestly the least star powered name in that group that made this announcement, said they were going to form a union. And at first, everyone was kind of going nuts about it, especially in the media, because like, wow, this is going to change everything. It's going to shake everything up, especially you had GSP there, right? You had, you had these big name guys saying, we're going to start a union, some former guys, and then some some current guys that were in championship contention or right there, you know, all this stuff. And then it went silent. It went dead. Remember a couple media members, I think including myself, asked a month or two after, like, it, anyone heard anything? from Bjorn, from any of the fighters, nothing. The only thing that you'd heard from the group soon after the announcement was when Cerrone kind of walked it back pretty quickly and said, man, I wish I would have talked to Dana before I did all this. I shouldn't have done all this. And it was like instantly hurt the credibility of the group. But Kennedy kind of revealed on the Hilwani MMA show that Part of it was they went to all of the major fight camps and tried to get fighters to sign a piece of paper saying, look, we want this group to, you know, this group represents me and, you know, I want to be part of this collective bargaining group and here's my agreement. And 5% of fighters signed up. So that, you know, as we've talked about here, in unionization efforts, like that's pretty low. That's, that's not going to help you get a union. Um, big part of that, as Kennedy described was backlash, right. And, and threats of backlash from the promotion. Uh, I think another big part of that is also just, you know, kind of this, this protect myself and yeah, sure. I'll be a part of this, but only if it, you know, doesn't hurt me. It's not necessarily just like, yes, I want to reward everything and give back, but like, you know, you've seen throughout the tenure of the UFC retaliation, right? You had Cajun Johnson get released. I think when he was, he, I don't remember his exact record, but I remember it being kind of head scratching that they let go of him. Um, You had based on his record anyway. Um, you had Leslie Smith with the infamous opponent, Mrs. Waite, and they just paid her show and win and said, hey, your contract is fulfilled, which then she, you know, sued and said, hey, you can't do that. But it was, you know, out of out of her hands. And again, during the 
during an administration in the U.S. that was very anti-union, as we've talked about in previous previous episodes here and a couple old Sherdog articles I wrote. Um, so she lost that. And, you know, we, we've seen, and, and Kennedy talks about an instance where Dana White basically yelled at him in front of all these other fighters saying like, you know, if you want to, you know, go out here, campaign about fighter pay, you've got to like earn it. You can't just like wrestle somebody. You got to get knockouts, get a performance bonus, all this stuff. We've seen that mentality before. That's, and that's not just a UFC thing. That is a broader business thing. We're seeing that right now in the U S anyway, it's, it's quite the, you know, shakeup, which most of this applies to the U S obviously, because there are, are other labor laws, in other countries where this isn't really a thing. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen Starbucks here in, in Austin, you had a Starbucks unionize, which was a big deal. You, we've seen a lot of unionization efforts from, you know, places uh, in, in different States, you know, against Amazon, against a lot unionization is making a big comeback right now. There are a lot of benefits to unionization. There's been a lot of talk that a fighter's union, including by myself, that a fighter's union would solve a lot of problems for the fighters, but this is a shining example of why it almost certainly won't happen without a major catalyst, at least in our lifetime, right? There's not enough of a shift that's occurring right now where I think, okay, this might naturally happen without some crazy catalyst. I think at this point, you're going to have to have something wild happen. Um, whether that's, you know, a prominent fighter dying in, in, the octagon and, you know, something crazy happening where then their family is left with medical bills. I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but you know, some type of catalyst that really kicks it all off in order for a union to happen. Even then it seems much harder to do than say the Ali Act expansion, which is the other, um, you know, side of this coin. I know this, that's what Nash obviously is, is very big on, um, I think that would help in some ways, you know, I think there's, I think there's a middle ground there um, in terms of what the actual overall best option would be, but either way for unionization, it, this, this highlights how hard it is. You had very prominent members of the sport go out and try and get this to happen. You had what seemed to be at the time, a semi big push of like, Hey, like, yeah, let's get this stuff. Let's, let's, you know, let's try and make this happen. And you got very little buy-in from fighters where they're actually willing to sign their name. Union probably isn't going to happen. It, it probably just isn't in the UFC. With other promotions, um, in an interview I did with Leslie Smith for the Body Lock quite some time ago, I asked her when she had gone over to Bellator before she was making her debut, you know, do you feel that union is needed for Bellator? And she was like, no, not really, because Bellator treats me like an independent contractor. Bellator allows me to go do other things, uh, do my own sponsorships, all of that as well. So it's not the same. The UFC is really where you're looking at unionization happening. And it makes sense. They're this giant sport. Uh, we know what fighter revenue is. That's where this is most likely going to take place, right? Same as going after Starbucks or Amazon versus your local coffee shop or a small business packaging service, right? Unlikely that the mom and pop coffee shop 
or packaging service is going to have employees, you know, hammering for a union could happen, but unlikely that that would, you know, occur versus, Hey, here's your crazy, crazy amount of revenue and profit publicly traded company. And okay, we're going to try and unionize so that we as workers get more of that share. Again, all makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's eye-opening. If you haven't seen that clip, you haven't seen him on there, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a big spotlight on why unionization is so tough. A fighter's union is so, so tough. Because in order to sign away your collective bargaining rights, you've got to sign a piece of paper. And only 5% of the time, with, again, very big names attached to this, not just Tim Kennedy and... Bjorn Rebney. We had GSP. You had Kane Velasquez, who was a major player in heavyweight at the time. You had TJ Dillashaw. You had Cerrone, who had been, you know, right in lightweight contention and has, is a well-known name within UFC and even outside UFC is, is a known name to people, right? And yet, 5%. Ali Axe is most likely the best path forward for fighters from a business perspective. Those numbers are what you love to hear that only 5% of, you know, your contractors were looking to sign that card. That means from the UFC perspective, you're doing it right. Again, we're not talking about morals from a business perspective. If I'm looking from an, an, as an investor or as someone that's an executive within the UFC, I've done my job if only 5% of people are willing to sign and I'm making the money that I do, right? We just talked about all these sponsorships and profits, all this, all this stuff from a business perspective. That's, that's what you like to see. If you're, if you're at the top or if you're an investor, that means money for you. If you're a partner, that means money for you most likely. So yeah, again, highly recommend checking out that segment. Um, really, really gives, you know, really gives clarity and credence to the idea that the Ali Act is probably the more likely scenario of getting fighters more benefits. And, you know, again, we've seen with the Sunset Contract Clause, that's, it's not the Ali Act, but it's, some of those things are trending that way as the UFC insulates itself against antitrust suits. So, you know, I would imagine that that is the most likely way things are going to change. Now, will the Ali Act ever get passed? Well, that's hard to say, right? Um, was led by, you know, um, Mr. Mullen in Oklahoma and then got killed maybe as a favor to then President Donald Trump since Trump and Dana White are buddies. But yeah, it's just one of those things where that is the far easier path because that can get done through legislation versus trying to convince fighters to sign cards and or sign documents. Let me know your thoughts on it. Union versus Ali Act. I know there's a lot of people talking about, you know, what boxing did with the Ali Act, all that let me know your thoughts on which you would prefer ideally and which you think is more viable because obviously I just stated, which I think is more viable, but would love to hear your guys' thoughts on, on 
which you'd prefer to see as well as if you truly believe something other than the Ali Act and unionization is more viable. All right, last thing we're going to talk about quickly today is good deal, bad deal with MVP, Michael Venom Page, versus Mike Perry in bare-knuckle boxing. Yes, that's right. Bellator and BKFC are collaborating to bring us MVP versus Perry. If you called this matchup, please leave receipts in the comments or tweet them to me because what uh, if you're on YouTube, if comments, otherwise tweet if you're listening via audio. But what a call, right? Um, what I, I just, this, this matchup is out of left field. A lot of hardcores are all about it. I'm intrigued by it. I will say that much, but it's interesting. It, it's it's just kind of came out of nowhere. It's a collaboration. And I've seen a couple of different takes on this. Again, a lot of people are happy about it. Like, awesome. A lot of people are not so happy being like MVP just fought for a title. And now he's going to go degrade himself by fighting Mike Perry in bare knuckle boxing. <laughs> um, and then I saw one or two media members tweet out something of, oh, this is, you know, promotions working together for the benefit of the fighters. That one I have to push back on because that's not true. That's just simply not true. Um, Yes, don't get me wrong. Fighters can benefit from this, but definitely the promotion seeing the opportunity to work together and help, you know, through collaboration, get both of their names out there, garner more attention and, and hopefully create more customer conversion. Right. Um, Bellator and BKFC are both small fish in the big, big pond of combat sports. Right. BKFC is, you know, very small in terms of boxing. Right. I mean, yes, bare knuckle boxing, they're a bigger name, but in terms of the actual boxing world and all that, they're, they're, they're small time. Bellator, despite being, you know, for a long time, the number two clear cut promotion. And from a revenue standpoint, uh, and I, I would still say the number two MMA promotion, um, you know, they've lost a lot of their shine. We've talked about this, about their, their lack of marketing ever since they've been under Showtime, they they've lost some of their, you know, push to go out there and make waves. This is a way for both of them to, come together Bellator and BKFC and help elevate their presence and hopefully their fighters. That's the idea here. Um, When you are a small fish in a big pond, you do not want to waste time fighting the other small fish when you don't have to, right? You want to work with those fish where you can to, mutually beneficial arrangements that then push back against the big fish. We see this all the time in other industries too, right? We've seen crossovers between brands um, where, you know, you'll, you'll have a particular smaller brand work with a non-competing or, you know, substitute type brand for a collaboration deal that then, you know, will push back against whoever's the leader in the industry. It's a. It's more in outside of 
depending on the industry you're talking about it in most industries, it's usually um, complementary brands or, or strategic partnerships. But when you've got a really one major player that's so dominating all over all the others, you know, you tend to work with your technical competitors or substitutes to do that. Perfect example of this is pro wrestling. Um, you've got WWE who is the giant fish in the small pond. And then you've seen the success that AEW has had by kind of working with several other, you know, promotions, signing some of the uh, bigger stars of these smaller promotions and then working with them to have some of their stars compete. I mean, they are doing that, you know, new Japan pro wrestling forbidden door crossover event uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks. That collaboration helps them be a bigger threat to WWE than they ever were on their own. Right. Same thing here. And yeah, I won't go down the pro wrestling rabbit hole anymore. Um, but same thing here with, you know, and we've seen Bellator do this before with Ryzen, right? Bellator Ryzen, you have championship fights, you have crossover fights that are there to help elevate both platforms and give a an alternative where a fan who is maybe a semi-hardcore might know some big names in Bellator, might know the occasional name in Ryzen, um, knows all the UFC. Let's see that. Let's say it's that type of fan, right? If you then get together, you know, most of the big heavy hitters from Bellator and the big heavy hitters from Ryzen and pit them against each other, that might intrigue them and be like, oh, I kind of want to see that. I wonder how each side's going to do. Let's do this match. That can reel them in, right? I mean, I, heck, that was Ryzen's original premise, right? Was they were supposed to be a federation with several other champs, which they still do have some other champs from other promotions come and compete. That was the whole idea so this is just another example of that with bellator and bkfc it's with a substitute instead of a technical direct competitor where you're in the same exact sport but it works because again unlikely that you're going to have threats from either side um directly where if, if bkfc takes off that means bellator is going to lose customers or revenue to that um, you will have some overlap. It's a substitute. So you do have to watch out, but it's not as bad as a direct competitor. In terms of the business side of who this is a good deal for, or bad deal for, for BKFC, I think it's a great deal. I think especially because they are out there, but they're kind of this niche and they need to find a way to break into new markets, this is a great way to do that. This is a great way to hopefully get some Bellator fans and some diehard MMA fans to watch BKFC if they never have before. I think for BKFC, it's a fantastic deal. Uh, for Mike Perry, I would agree that it is a fantastic deal. He is not expected to go in there and knock out MVP. He is expected to go in there and put on a show to you know help make a name for BKFC and, you know, do well, but I would imagine most people are favoring Paige here. And this is more just about, again, getting his name out there, testing him against people outside the UFC um, in boxing, but still kind of saying for him, like, this is his opportunity to say like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm much better boxer than I was grappler, all this other stuff. Like this is where I thrive. It's, it's very low risk, high reward for him. 
On the flip side, whenever there's low risk, high reward, there's almost always a high risk, low reward. For Bellator, I'm going to say this is a good deal because it still helps get them out there a little bit more. Hopefully you convert some of BKFC's fan base over into MMA, if it's a, especially if it's a good fight, they might intrigue uh, some people that then you get some more people looking behind Showtime's curtain on what Bellator is offering. For MVP, this is a bad deal. He is the sole person out of this, I think, that gets the real raw deal here in that, one, you're competing against a former UFC fighter, a former MMA guy, so you're not getting your boxing chops that you're, you know, have been touting and wanting to do since forever, since you've been with Bellator. Um, you're not really getting that type of recognition you'd hopefully get from legitimate boxers. Two, you are not offered a Showtime boxing undercard match, which would be much more of a crossover presence and probably better for the way that, he, you know, he would ideally want to move into boxing. And three, if he loses, he's expected to win here. If he loses, especially after just losing an interim title fight in MMA, if he loses to Mike Perry in boxing, his reputation is going to take a massive hit. He is not a grappler, right? That's how he lost in MMA. If he gets outboxed here, any hardcore MMA fan will immediately not write him off for good, but it won't be great. Right, it won't be a great showing. If anything, it, it really hurts his reputation, and that's a scenario where it could be a bad deal for Bellator. Is if he gets starched, right, or just literally outboxed, where it's embarrassing, then it makes Bellator again look like they have worse fighters. They're a little bit insulated because it's happening on BKFC's territory, which is smart. But you could make that connection. It's not too far for a fan to make that connection. So. Again, good deal for most. Great deal on the BKFC side and Mike Perry side. Probably a good deal for Bellator, though could technically go bad and a bad deal for MVP. That's my verdict on that. Let me know your thoughts on the matchup. If you're excited to see it, if you think it's a good deal, bad deal, love to hear your opinions on that. All right, and that wraps another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. I will do a bonus episode sometime this month uh, because of the Memorial Day one and then things got out, out of whack. Sorry, I'm still getting acclimated to the new house and all that fun stuff. Um, but I will do a bonus episode for you guys at some point. Let me know if you want any particular topics for that episode. I've got a couple in mind. They'll be more evergreen and talk more on the business side. But let me know if you want any particular topics that you'd like me to cover on that bonus episode. Otherwise, expect to be back next week on the same time slot or Hopefully this is coming out Friday, uh, same time slot and, and back into a normal schedule from here on out. So with that in mind, if you're on YouTube, like, share, subscribe, bell notification, all that fun stuff. If you're listening to the audio, uh, sure dog podcast network, uh, anchor, Spotify, Apple, what have you appreciate it as always feel free to reach out to me on Twitter about anything, any of this stuff. And with that in mind, until next time, y'all get money.